What is up, guys? We have the wonderful Ellie Marnie. I'm so excited! Yes, author <laughs> of Nunchuck Sleep. If you guys remember, we did talk about Nunchuck Sleep probably. When did we? Maybe. Oh, gosh. A couple it was months recent. Ago? Yeah, it was very recent. It aired recently. Yes. And phenomenal yes oh my definitely gosh. our favorite book of 2022, of 2022. yeah yeah a hundred thousand and we are honored to have her here on the podcast and she is going to be here to talk a little bit about none shall sleep and then hopefully a little bit about some shall sleep some shall break some shall break and we did not read this because i was so worried <laughs> it's that i was going to spoil something on here so I was like, okay, no, we're going to do the podcast and then I'm going to shut this off and I'm going to go read it. We have like went back and forth with like, cause we've had it in our hands. We're just like, we have this, we just read it right now. And then I'm like, <laughs> but then we're going to spoil everything for everybody. And then we're just, cause we can't keep our mouth shut and we have to like do all these spoiler recordings <laughs> and we're just like, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go in blind and we're just going to run and fight for it after <laughs> so we're yes. so excited yes we are so excited to have her on here um tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into writing books and just maybe what you maybe do your hobbies yeah. things that you like anything at all really well hi hi Samantha and hi Bethann it's really lovely to be here I know it's like five in the afternoon where you are now is yes. that right Yes. And it's um it's nine o'clock in the morning here. Oh, no. <laughs> so hello from Australia. <laughs> awesome. Um, I've just done all my my morning routine stuff. Um, you know, wash dishes and and put the put the wash on and uh, driven my two youngest sons to the school bus. So um, you know, it's nice to kind of kick the morning off with something exciting. It's really lovely to be here and to talk with you in person. That's really awesome. Um, how did I get into writing? That's uh, well, I came to I came to publishing really late, I guess, uh, because I didn't release my first book until 2013. Um, I guess I started writing really early, though, like most. Um, authors I know you know you, you sort of start when you're um, in primary school or high school and you start scribbling down stories and things like that yeah and then um, yeah and so you spend a lot of time trying to figure out whether or not you've got what it takes to actually write books and I think right. when I was in high school um, I wanted to be a writer then but nobody was really saying to me that this was a viable career path um, I had a lot of people say, oh, well, maybe you could become a journalist or maybe you could become a lawyer if you like words, you know. Um, right. And so I was kind of secretly um, hiding behind the library shelves at my public high school, kind of awesome. going, oh, uh, you know, peppering the librarians with questions usually about, you know, how do books get made and, you know, how what does an author really do and all this sort of stuff. So um so I didn't I didn't pursue it straight after high school. I went traveling. I uh, met my partner and then uh, had a bunch of children. I've got four boys um, from 14 to 22. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. So a that keeps me really. Family. We only have one <laughs> each. Yes. <laughs> so I have yeah. a three-year-old. I have a, she's going to be six. Oh, so she's got really... a boy and I've got a little girl. So 
that really keeps you busy. You know, yes. any, <laughs> any kids at any age definitely keeps you busy. Um, so yeah, I mean, our, our youngest is 14 now, so we kind of passed the point where they have, you know, th- they need help to dress and, and feed then, themselves yeah. <laughs> and get themselves <laughs> out the door. <laughs> Like so that's like a whole like new world. Freedom. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. I know. You can see again. the light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Um, but uh, while I was having my babies and traveling and um, I also became a teacher. Uh, so I qualified as a high school teacher. And then, um, and you know, amongst all of the life stuff, I was still writing stories. So eventually I started submitting them into competitions here in Australia. And then in about 2010, I won a really big writing competition in Australia. It's the Sisters in Crime um, Short Story Award. So that was like a national award and it got, you know, media attention and stuff like that. So that was really amazing. And I Um, heard that you you had an event with Sisters in Crime recently yeah the same organization it's the same organization they have chapters I think they started in the UK and they have chapters in the US and in Australia and lots of different places um so I just joined my local chapter and kind of gave it a shot and yeah they they um they gave me this award which was really cool but because it was a national award um it gave me something to put on my writing CV, I guess you would say. And um, so I just parlayed that. And it was around that time when I'd started writing so much that it was, it was starting to take over a bit, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. I was writing stories like 16 hours a week or something. That's (laughs) awesome. So it's just like, it was something that I think I noticed that a lot with some of the people that we talked to, like, it's just their passion, their life. Like it is part of who they are essentially. And yeah. I feel like it's so amazing that you have so many stories to tell because like I could aspire to be a writer. Uh, Listen. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I, I think it's so cool to hear about like how people yes. become authors because I'm like, I, I could write a book, but I don't even know how to do I that. I don't even you know? know where to begin, where to start. <laughs> and like, I feel like it's just something that certain people have this like amazing talent from the beginning. Like mm-hmm. you're saying, like you were in school and like, it was just something that came out of you that you wanted to be. And I feel like people should support youth way more in like trying oh, to yeah. pursue those goals and right. stuff like that too. And like, there should be more organizations. Mm-hmm. There should be more opportunities because like, why not write books? Why not supply yeah. the libraries and like dream big and like step into those things? Because like, people have some amazing things to tell and I want to read them all. (laughs) I just want to read them. (laughs) 100%. I mean, I just think, um, you know, I do a lot of work um, here in Australia with um, teenagers and high schoolers who are trying to, who who are trying to figure out their path, I guess, in, in writing or who have ideas that they don't quite know how to put down, you know, um, I meet a lot of teenagers who like to write and wonder whether or not this is something that they could do professionally, right. but there just doesn't seem to be a clear pathway. You know, you can't just, yeah. you can't just take a degree. I mean, you can, you can take a degree in creative yeah. writing, but there's no guarantee that's going to make you um, pursue this as a career. Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, I never 
I never studied creative writing. I never went to college and and took a course or or even did any writing courses, I guess. Oh, wow. It was just something that I kind of slowly felt my way into. Um, and, you know, when I would finish teaching, I'd come home and put everybody to bed and then I would sit down and, and do some work or get up really early in the morning and write things down, jot down ideas for stories. I don't know. It's kind of like one of those things, particularly if you're a, if you're a mum, um, and you don't have any time for yourself right. in the course of the normal day, it's just yeah. work and parenting and you know making dinner and keeping the washing keeping up to date with the washing the laundry gets done (laughs) and then having having the you know even an hour to myself to sit down and jot down a story that just felt really great you know it felt really important it was a it was a real lifeline I think when my children were small Mm -hmm. so I I sort of always encourage teenagers to keep at it if that's what they're interested in because no one really encouraged me but um you know I eventually found my way to it in the end so yeah I was nearly 40 before my uh first book was published um it was around the time that I I'd won this big award and my youngest son was about to go to school and I thought well either I have to um I, I'm going to have to go out and, and get work. Um, alternatively, I could finish this long story that seems to be turning into a book and try and sell it. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'd really write, really rather write the book. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah. So I, I finished writing my first book, which is called Every Breath, and that was published in Australia in 2013. It's funny, it's very strange because I'm considered a debut author in the States, but I've already published eight books here in Australia before None Shall Sleep was released. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess I didn't realize that that was the case for for the US. And you said, so the debut for the US is None Shall, is None Shall Sleep? Is None Shall oh, Sleep, really? yeah. It's yeah. Because okay, so, I've heard um, of other, your other books and things too. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, okay. So the reason we found, this is how we found your book. Oh, yeah. Well, Samantha found mm-hmm. I okay. okay. This is kind of a funny story. I went into, because I'm a huge book reader and book buyer. It's an issue. I, I buy books all the time. We so, support the issue with Mina's book. Yes. <laughs> um, I went Always. In, I was at on vacation and I was on a beach and I was like, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to find like just a cute beach read. And so I'm in <laughs> Barnes and Noble and I'm like, what's this? And I see his cover of like a butcher knife with blood. And I was like, but the most aesthetically pleasing <laughs> cover. It is a yeah. stunning cover. And then I love that cover. Know, the group chat has a picture of this book cover and she's just like, you have to read this. And I'm just like, this looks phenomenal. And I think did I read it in two days? I, I read it. I read it in one day. And then I told her, I was like, you gotta, you gotta pick it up. And she did. She's the slowest reader ever, but she read this book in two days. <laughs> But I take a hundred years to read. I'm very, very slow. And it was so good. I ate it all up. It was so amazing. And we were just like, this is, this is it. There's very <laughs> few the books book. that I am like, I get super interested by like page two, but like literally That's it's cool. One paragraph. And I was like, this is uh, it. It's going to be an all day event for me. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm grinning. All the questions. 
<laughs> I'm grinning over here because um, of the idea of you going into Barnes & Noble looking for a cute <laughs> beach read and coming out with this book which has got like blood spatter and, you know, butcher's knives and murder. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I love I love the cover and I'm I'm like a very big like cover person that's what like attracts so me to books good. did you have a hand in helping like design and like pick out like I'm not quite sure how that works in particular but yeah so yeah good. I did I mean look I didn't I didn't choose the um the cover itself, it, there were three options. Um, we had engaged three different artists to, the publisher had engaged three different artists to produce rough drafts of what they might do. And this artist I picked out um, because it just looks so different from every other murder book on the shelf. You know, like most most crime thrillers are like, you know, black and splashes of red and yeah. um, kind of police tape and stuff like that. And then um, and then the artist who who produced the brief had this like this boppy kind of bright blue pastely 80s style yes. color background and this really stylized um you know, image of the knife with the blood spatter. And I was just like, yeah, that is not going to look like anything else on the shelf. Yes. It really popped out. You know? It does. And then it, it does. Yeah. It wasn't until after um, we chose um, Janelle Barone, who's the artist for the front cover, that I realized that she's actually from my from my town. She's from Melbourne oh, that's really in Australia. Cool. Um, so that was really it was cool. Destiny. It was. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and she's done the cover art as well for Some Shall Break, which is, you know, this gorgeous, this oh, it gorgeous was, it's, rose with the blood it. spatter. Yes. And yeah, so we, we, we got her in like, again. Oh, God. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so good. So, I, but you know, I think like the cover matches. I don't know if this is a stretch, but like for me, Simon in the book. Yeah. It really does, you know, it matches his like vibe. It like goes so well with who he is as a character and a person. Yeah, He's like this I agree. Serial killer guy that's just so chill so in his cell, like, almost so suave and debonair, and like yeah. so. He's like, you know how they say like a jack of all trades or somebody who just is like everything in one go. Like he is just like I don't know how to explain it. Like he he looks good. He carries himself well, and like yeah. in the worst possible scenario, he's just like the king of the campus. Like yeah, walking around has total control of the situation. I feel like as a, I guess he's a villain, but I don't want to call him that. <laughs> you don't want him to be the villain. You don't want him to be the villain, but like the way that like you get into his mind and like the way that everything like works out is just like he's so interesting and intriguing as a person. Yeah. And it really does match like the aesthetic of the book as a whole. So it just goes so well together because like when you peek in, like it's so complex. Like mm -hmm. he he's, was one um, of my favorite characters. He is he's definitely seems to be a fan favorite. You know, he's somebody that everybody keeps talking about when I'm when yeah. I'm, you know, I know you're not supposed to when you're an author check on Goodreads, but I do sometimes look at reviews <laughs> and everyone's like, Oh, Simon, Simon. And it's like, um, hang on, guys, I wrote this character to be a serial killer. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's supposed like to he's like the serial, serial killer. killer. <laughs> <laughs> I was I mean, gonna ask. I, 
<laughs> How does that make He's... you feel? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I. I'm not surprised because, look, he's really compelling character to write on the page. You know, he's incredibly fun to write. Um, so if if I'm getting that feeling from him as as I'm writing, which is that uh, this is a guy that you just, you're kind of hanging on every word. You can't look away. He's got yeah. that real, um, like, I agree with you. I think the cover matches Simon very well. He's got that very 80s, early 80s um, Duran Duran cool. I always kind of picture Simon Le Bon in those, you know, white shirts with the open <laughs> open <laughs> collars and, you know, <laughs> yes. on a yacht in the Bahamas or something. I don't know. This is very Simon. Yes. yes. <laughs> Plus he's, he's, also, he's also the smartest person in the room at any time. You know, Absolutely. he's always 10 steps ahead of everybody else. So that makes him oh, quite hard to write um, because it's hard writing smart people when, you know, I mean, I'm not, uh, he's like 98, 98 percentile for, you know, IQ or something. And I'm not that. Smart, so. He's like, you better, you better stay at least two feet away from the cell because he's going to find some way to yeah, murder you. And that's the, that's 100%. the draw, though. He's scary smart. And it's like, he's so smart that it's like terrifying because like any facial expression, any movement, anything is a tell. Like it just gives him information that he needs to be able to manipulate, control you, like to get in. But then at the same time, he's so like, deceivingly sweet yeah and simple You're like how can this guy be like, a killer he's so and you made him like to me in my mind good looking too yes. so you're just like yeah. who is this person yeah and then like you get to the end and these are spoilers so if you guys haven't read this you might want to pause and read it but like at the end scenes when he's like going after this guy and you're just like reading on every single word you're just like ripping your face off as like this is happening <laughs> Oh, cool. and you're just like you're root you're rooting for simon the entire time because you're, like, you're just like wait push back what am i doing like, <laughs> like yeah. you made us like cling on to this person you're just like yes and you're just like who am i cheering for like <laughs> <laughs> what is happening it was oh bad. it's so good i have never read a character written like him ever and we have read yeah. a lot of like crime thriller, thriller. Yeah. like that's mainly what we read on the pot on the podcast and yeah he is a thousand percent unique and I think that's yeah. why we love him so much because it's just like and since we're talking about nunchuck sleep could you give us like a little brief description of the book okay so nunchuck sleep is yeah I, I was just thinking that I was I was thinking I hope readers understand what this book is about so nunchuck sleep is a YA psychological thriller it's set in 1982 um and it involves two teenagers i know we've been talking all about simon goodmanson but the the story actually starts with two teenagers emma lewis who is a survivor of a serial killer so she's like a real life final girl and travis bell whose uh, father was murdered by a serial killer so they get recruited by the fbi to come in and help them get insight on t into um, juvenile serial offenders who are already incarcerated. Yeah, so this is this is why they're brought in. They think they're just going to be looking at paperwork and doing these interviews. It's all supposed to be very, um, you know, cold case, low key. Mm -hmm. um, but then 
then of course what happens is they find themselves talking to this juvenile serial killer um Simon Goodmanson who's he's a teenage sociopath as you yes. as you understand after the first meeting with him and um and he has insight or apparently has insight into an active case that the FBI are pursuing where they're um they're trying to find someone who is targeting teenagers and they think that the offender might be a teenager himself so um obviously Emma and Travis get caught up in this hunt for this new serial killer who's targeting teens and Simon keeps drawing them back with promises of more information, but you know he's like this expert manipulator, so he's playing a long game. Yeah. And um, Emma, who becomes the conduit between Simon and the FBI, doesn't quite know what she's getting herself into. So that is nutshell sleep in a nutshell. That perfect nutshell. Like you did that. Well, I mean, you wrote it, but <laughs> like, I feel like if I would have tried, I would be like all over the place and like spoiling things and getting super excited. And yeah, but Emma as a character though, you can tell that she's very vulnerable mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. I love that she is not your stereotypical heroine, I guess, or your stereotypical main character because like the emotion is real like the feelings that she's going through are real and like she loses herself a little bit and then has to like search around and find herself. Like, I feel like every character is so well-developed throughout the entire story that it just hooks you moment after moment after moment. And then like this little, like maybe love thing that's happening with maybe (laughs) 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 that's happening with, um, with Travis. Travis Um, because like, they're kind of cemented together in their past and their experiences mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. And it's just interesting to see like how you like left that off and how that's going to go. Possibly. I'm really excited to hear about everybody and especially Kristen. Kristen was, she was crazy. So <laughs> I really I didn't... thought that Kristen was going to be in cahoots. I didn't know. Somehow. I was so like, yeah, we were coming up with theory after theory after theory about like, okay, this girl, like, this is going to happen, and then it's going to go like all the pot, and then and Kristen is the sister of Simon, twin sister, twin sister, yes, twin, sister. yeah. So, so they have this very strange relationship. Uh, and I mean, I really, a lot of. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say a lot of the times, my editor when I when I was going through doing edits for Nunchal Sleep. She was like, so Kristen and Simon, um, <laughs> twins, and they have this very close relationship. And she was like, is this really how you meant this to read on the page? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's how I went it. That's okay. how I meant it to read on the page. Because we were yeah. kind of like, what is that? And then like you get like snippets of maybe like a little bit of like their story and how yeah. like they were like grew up and what they experienced. I yeah. That was really unique too, how that shaped them. It's so great. I just I had a lot of fun writing those characters. It was I mean, Nanta Sleep is kind of pitched as this YA version of Silence of the Lambs, which to some extent I did, you know, I I mean, I'm I'm like you. I've read all the murder books. I've read Thomas oh Harris, yeah. all of his books. I've read um I started with John Douglas. 
um, who wrote the book Mindhunter that the series Mindhunter was based on. So um, I was completely invested in trying to write a YA serial killer in that in that mode, you know. Um, but one thing I thought was really important in Nunchal Sleep, you know, like a, people are going to compare Simon Goodmanson to Hannibal Lecter a lot. But Simon is, yeah. I mean, I had to make him more vulnerable. You know, he's a uh, he's still young. He's yes. he's just a teenager. So it's really hard to write someone who's that bright um, and not make them sound like they're 45, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it was, he was really difficult. Job, oh, thank you. I yeah, mean, I tried. He's a very was... unique character and I don't think he that we've is. ever read anything. But the bringing in his like sister it. like that and yeah. being able to like let her be that vulnerability really yeah. brings him like way back down because then you can see like, you know, that's what you can't touch. That's yeah, what that's you right. Can't mess with that's what you can't, mm-hmm. and so that was like also like that tension building like moment where you're just like, that's and I I really thought that the book was going to take like a dark turn and because I was getting the vibe that Emma and Simon were going to have oh you and that like a relationship <laughs> happen. <laughs> But I was reading into it, okay? I was like, <laughs> I don't know about them. to think that he's not trying to pull every string in that he can to try to get her to, you know, be comfortable. He's trying to drop her guard every single second. So any string that he can yeah. pull. And my you know heart. I mean? Like, 100%. she's like this, you know, this Shakespeare reading, like, you know, like all of these amazing texts and like he's, you know, he's a genius. Why wouldn't you want the like I mean Amic to be there, even though he's in my heart, he really <laughs> cares about Emma and he's gonna do everything for her. <laughs> Ship that <I'm>, over there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I, I've had a lot of people I've had a lot of people say that to me too. They're like, you know, are Emma and Simon gonna become a thing? It's like, um, well, Simon's a serial killer, <laughs> and Emma's the survivor of a serial here. killer. Don't remind us about that. <laughs> I mean, look, even though Kristen is kind of like Simon's vulnerabilities all wrapped up into a human shape, you know, he is all of her. Um, he is, and he's her strength. You know, Kristen is like this. This she's always worried about being too kind of weak or amorphous. You know, she has she's this, got this weird kind of um coping mechanism I guess where yeah. she's she's very good mimic she kind of reflects back what is going on in the uh, you know the emotional temperature of the room at any moment yeah. so she has this very weird changeable kind of personality um and that's a you know it's a defensive mechanism for her because she's grown up with a sociopath yeah. um but yeah, the idea that Emma and Simon might end up together, I guess that's something. I mean, I'm I'm going I have long-term plans for what happens yes, in the can. course of this of this series. So I'm going to keep everything um quiet, but I would have to say that, you know, Emma is um is a very uh vulnerable person who has a lot of uh, her own defense mechanisms and um, she's not as easily swayed by Simon's manipulation as 
as a lot of people might think. I think, um, you know, she's, yeah, she's always on this kind of heightened emotional level where she's very hyper aware, you know, anyone, anyone who's survived trauma. And look, that was something that I tried really hard to do when I was writing the book is to paint a realistic picture of what it's like for someone who's survived extreme trauma and the kinds of reactions and experiences and lived reality that they have. So, um, you know, Emma has this hypersensitivity. She's hyper alert. She's always really aware of her surroundings. She's one of those people who's always looking f- to figure out where their door is, you know, like where's yeah. the point of exit? The um, yeah. yeah. How can I, how can I run if I need to run, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, she's very um, aware of the fact that Simon is um, manipulative and and I think you were saying something about how, you know, every expression, every gesture when she's with him is is something that he picks up on. And she's right. very alert to that. Yeah. yeah. And that was another thing when we were writing the book and my editor was saying, do you think she should have more facial expressions here? And I'm like, she would absolutely not want to have any facial expressions right. at yeah, all. Right. You would just want to be a completely blank wall. You know, she doesn't want to give him anything. Um, that he can use because every little thing that she lets slip, he's going to use um, for his own purposes. Yeah. yeah. So, so really, he, he was he was he was a, a very challenging character to write. It's it's hard to get into that mindset, like so manipulative of people that you know you don't really think of them as people. You just sort of think of them as chess pieces on a board, yeah. and that's kind of. How Simon thinks, you know, yeah, he's not true. really thinking about people's humanity. <laughs> he's impressively sneaky. He is. And how did you prepare for that? Yeah. Like, how did, like, what, is there anything that, like, the research that you had to have done possibly and, like, everything to be able to know how to model him as a character? Like, is yeah. there something specific that you yeah. model? I mean, I know you said, like, reading all, like, your reading preferences, what you enjoy reading and stuff like that, but... Like there is so much extra there that I, you had to have done behind the scenes (laughs) to be able to like. I mean, most serial killers aren't that smart, you know? I mean, from the research that I did, it like, uh, I, I think we have this kind of fascination in popular culture with this kind of evil mastermind, you know, who's like the serial killer character who, who, um, never steps a foot wrong, who's always one step or even 10 steps ahead of the police, who's um, kind of manipulating everything in the background. Um, that's actually not the profile of a standard serial offender. You know, mm-hmm. most serial offenders are in the lower levels for IQ. They act on instinct. Hmm. They're not particularly well organized. So it was interesting to read through um, John Douglas's um, book Mindhunter again and again and you know like he um, talked a lot about the BTK killer in another book so I was reading about that mm-hmm. he was a guy who did a lot of preparation and did a lot of right um, organizing behind the scenes so I tried to kind of mash up I guess a whole lot of more successful serial offenders what made them yeah. successful along with popular characters like Hannibal Lecter to sort of see if I could get this amalgam of of all of these weird characteristics that makes somebody, you know, um, um, 
both do this thing and also not get caught. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, Simon, even though Simon talks a good game, I mean, he's behind bars when the yes. story begins. So yes. nobody's infallible. True. Yeah. And Which I is- think one of my favorite scenes with Simon is like the very last scene where it's him, Emma, Kristen, and then the killer. And I think at one point, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but is he just hanging from like the bars, like upside <laughs> down? Yeah, that was yeah. like my favorite because I just like the mental He's picture. So chill in that in those moments. I'm just like, it's just I'm just gonna monkey down from here and just <laughs> and that's do that. My thing. All she wrote. <laughs> it was such a good like build up too to see like his like you're going from this panic, all these emotions between the killer and then um, Emma, and then it's like really really sped up over here, and then when it gets to him, he's just like. So what's for lunch? Like, yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, I'm watching you, Simon. <laughs> like, what? What are you doing over there? Oh, I so mean, he's good. just loving the chaos, you know. Yes, like he feeds off of it. But I feel Absolutely. like he's, he's got to have a soft spot for Emma, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. I'm not, not going to say anything. Anything oh, I say yeah. is going to give it away. I mean, look, right. so many um, fandoms. It's really mm-hmm. interesting um, to see how many people are responding to him as a character. There's something, like I said, I think there's something in the in the popular culture zeitgeist about these these terrible, terrible guys. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. everyone's like, yeah. I don't know where it comes from. I think part of it is like, oh, we admire someone who's Machiavellian. You know, we kind of right. think that's we kind of associate that with successfulness or attractiveness or something like that right I mean Simon's kind of the full package you know he's he's young he's attractive and he's Machiavellian um that kind of ruthlessness there's something about it that uh we really attractive in popular culture um it's interesting when I get so when he re-emerges again in some shop break it was really me to sort of um see Emma's reaction because she's like she really doesn't really get the the appeal of him she's always really stressed out and tense when she's talking with him so because she knows what he is um so you know it was interesting to put them back together in in the same space and have them conversing again in some shop break that was that was a lot of fun and it was also kind of like an opportunity for Emma to almost kind of go, oh, yeah, Simon, I know what you're like. <laughs> yeah. You know, here Thanks. goes Simon with his tricks again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she was um, definitely at a at an advantage uh, in some short break because she steps in already knowing what to anticipate with him. I think part right. of the fear of of nonchalant sleep was when she first met him and she was like it was so overwhelming being around someone who's such a intimidating predator you yeah. know yeah um but yeah so in some short breaks she's kind of like oh yeah okay simon you're up to your tricks again i i get you now yeah. but that also gives her kind of um superficial confidence that maybe she shouldn't have I'm so excited to read. I have so many theories. (laughs) So many theories. I have a question real quick. Were you planning on writing Sunshell Break? Like, I mean, was that the grand plan? 
Okay. Yeah, totally was. Um, It was, I mean, look, when I first started writing Nunchal Sleep, I was thinking of it as a one shot. Um, But then I got about, as I got closer to finishing the book, I thought, oh, this would be, it would be ideal to pursue these characters further because they're just so great to write, you know. Yeah. They're so much fun to write. Emma's great to write. She's, um, She's like uh, just big exposed bruise walking around, you know, and mm-hmm. writing someone like that who's who's hyper aware and who's who's living with that much stress mm-hmm. is actually really in, makes her an interesting character. Um, it's great writing Travis as her foil because he's he's like this FBI trainee law enforcement guy, mm-hmm. but he's. You know, so you would sort of think, oh, yeah, he's this real, you know, um, kind of macho guy. But he's like the anti-macho. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? He's like really emotionally receptive. So he's because of the way he grew up um, and because of the death of his dad, he's he's kind of like a, a bit of an emotional barometer too, you know. So he reads Emma really well and responds in a way that mm, that I guess – Maybe a lot of more toughened, hardened law enforcement guys probably wouldn't. And also, I guess, because Travis is young, so he's still inexperienced. Right. Um, and then writing Kristen and Simon together, I was like, I have to get these characters get to get together again in this story because yeah. we're so glad. <laughs> and you know, a lot of people asked about Emma's backstory um after Nunchal Sleep was released. Mm-hmm. Um they wanted to know more about people wanted to know more about what had happened to her and how she became the character that she is in Nunchal Sleep. So I thought um, it would be really, really great to explore that as well. I'm so excited um, for that. Yeah. <laughs> you get like little like sprinkles throughout. And it's yeah. so interesting. And to yeah, like you're always wondering what happened to, to Emma. make her to be the person that she is now and yeah, to explore all of that because that's quite the feat to have to go through something like that and then be thrust into a situation where that's what you kind of live with all the time and who you deal with all the time, and it's 100%. so interesting. Yeah, it's going to be really cool to to read. You have to read fast. I'm literally after this podcast, <laughs> I'm going so home. I I'll have my- it done tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be so great. Thank you for setting. Thank you for sending us a copy. We yes. Are, oh, we were very I'm really excited. glad that you got it. We were running around Christmas. the library and I was jumping up and down. I was like, what are we doing? Are you planning on taking it further than a sequel? Is that something um, you can say? I, <laughs> is that something I'm allowed to say? I mean, look, <laughs> ideally, I'd like to write three books. Okay. That's that's my plan. But, um, I mean, look, honestly, I didn't expect some shall break to be published um I I wasn't contracted to write that book I just after I finish with Nunchal Sleep um I have a terrible habit of um if I really like the characters and I get really caught up in the story once the book is finished I'll just keep writing (laughs) and I'll be like oh okay so I'm just going to keep writing in this world because I'm having so much fun and then um so I was already halfway through Some Shall Break um by the time Nunchal Sleep was was published, and oh, um, cool. yeah, oh gosh, how could you keep it secret so long? <laughs> I was so I was so afraid. 
I wasn't going to get to read any more about Simon. <laughs> That's so, so cool. I like the timeline of that too, because yeah. I would have never guessed that you had already like explored all of that, went through and continued like, that's really neat insight. So that was a lot of, it was, it was like, um, I just get really attached to the characters and I just want to spend more time with them and so, see what happens with them when I put them into weird situations or new situations. Um, and another friend of mine, um, she's an Australian author of uh, dark fantasy. I don't know if you know C.S. Picat. So she wrote Captive Prince, which is an adult fantasy series. Um, and I then she agree. wrote Dark Rise, which was released a couple of years ago or last year or year before. Yeah. I think I think I know what you're talking about. C.S. Yeah. C. So um, C.S. Picat. So P.C.A.T. So her most recent book was Dark Rise and the sequel to that is coming out soon, oh, I think. Yeah. I think it might be ended this year or maybe early next year. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, she's fantastic. Uh, she's one of my writing buddies and she was saying to me, well, look, what would it be like? Um, this was while I was writing Nunchal Sleep. She was like, what if the um, serial killer was like um, a throwback or a copycat of what ha happened to Emma, you know, like how would that I impact that. her character? I know. And I was like, well, I can't write that into Nunchal Sleep because I've already written this other story for that. <laughs> right. And, you know, that's always really interesting when you're writing that. It's like dangle someone over the volcano, see how they react. And, you know, Emma's always going to do something interesting and different. So yes. I was like, okay. Uh, I definitely have to write this book. Um, and then, yeah, once I finish Some Shall Break, I mean, Some Shall Break comes out in June. I'm already, you know, I don't know, 70 pages or something into writing the third book. <laughs> so we'll just see what happens. I'm excited to see the cover. I know. <laughs> I'm excited for all of it. It's going to be so good. I already know. <laughs> like already the best book for 2023 and then that's and it, it you know that's all she wrote that's it uh, so what's your that. favorite book that you've written what's my favorite book that I've written hard question uh, we know that's really hard for me yeah. <laughs> that's like that's like um you know which of your children is your favorite, your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> um well look yeah I guess look at it have to be um None shall sleep. It'll be a close tie between None shall sleep, which I just love writing those characters so much, and my first book, um, Every Breath, which was um, it was a Sherlock Holmes homage set in Melbourne, Australia. Um, so it would be like uh, the idea was that there was these two teenage characters in um, working class families who live in the north of Melbourne and. One of them is this young guy who's 17 and he's a bit of a forensic genius and they get caught up in a murder mystery. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun to write. I really and liked that book. I read, I've read. i read the first one. Oh, really? Yes. Did you read the first one? That's awesome. Yes. yes. And <laughs> I, I, loved, I loved like the play on the names with the <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. So, okay. I'm reading it. Yeah. I'm it was it up. I need to, I'm going to read the two and three. It's trilogy, correct? 
Yeah, it's a trilogy. So it's every breath, every word, and every move. Um, I had a lot of fun writing that first book. And I, I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan from way back. I think I first started reading Sherlock when I was 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. I really got into the original stories very deeply. And so it was a, it was great fun to write this homage, you know, with yeah. these characters who have similar names and yeah. and but they know that they have similar names. So they know that yeah. they're kind of in on the joke, you know. Yes. So that was a lot of fun. That book gave me anxiety because it, <laughs> <laughs> it involves a zoo and I'm just Don't spoil it. I'm not gonna spoil it. <laughs> I need to read it now. Oh. I'm read that. And then I'm going to read The Killing Code. That's on my list next as well, oh, too. The Killing Code. That's my most recent book. I mean, I seem to have a book coming out just about every year, which is um, a great problem to have. It keeps me very busy. That is um, but The Killing Code was, you know, a lot of fun. Loads of fun. Um, it was nice to write a mystery instead of a thriller for a while. And our boss, our boss read that. Yes, and yes. she really, really liked it. She did. We should have picked yeah. it up right then. We read so much from um, the podcast. I'm gonna drop everything and just <laughs> priorities. <Sorry. Yeah. laughs> I wrote the Killing Code when I was in the middle of pandemic. You know, like here in Melbourne, we had um, this massive lockdown period. I mean, I live outside of Melbourne, so I'm actually out in the Australian bush, um, okay. a couple of hours north of the city. But the whole state was locked down um, for, I think had one of the longest lockdowns in the world it was like 360 days or something like that oh, gosh. um during the dark times yeah, yeah a long time <laughs> so um yeah it was really intense you couldn't you weren't allowed to go beyond like a five kilometer radius around your house um you know it was it was really full-on um and I had two sons living in in the city so I couldn't even go down and see Mm -hmm. them and check on them, make sure they're okay. We were just kind of reaching out to each other on Zoom and on phone and stuff like that. Um, And all of my writing buddies are all in Melbourne. So, um, yeah, usually we would get together or we would go on retreat and do writing together or something like that. And, you know, so for this really long period of time, we were just unable to see each other except on Zoom. Um, So it was great to write The Killing Code. to kind of have a bit of a break from that. I could throw myself into 1943, Washington, D.C., girl code breakers. You know, that was yeah. really nice. That's, and, that's um, awesome. and to have this cast of like this all-girl cast of, of women who kind of look after each other and they, they help each other out and just support each other. I wanted to really... I think that probably came out in the book, uh, this idea of the power of friendship and and women's friendship kind of yeah. being really essential. And that was probably, you know, um, as a way of honoring the all the women writers that I couldn't connect with. Yeah, I was about to say that. From each it. other. Yeah, because you guys were had to, oh my gosh, that was what, it feels like it was just yesterday that all that stuff happened, honestly. I, I can't believe it's already been yeah. three, three years. years. Yeah. It's so, like, such a big part of our history and stuff already, and it's influenced so many different people. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of surprised there haven't been more, like, um, 
COVID books, you know. I kept maybe yeah. it's too soon. <laughs> I read I don't remember who the author was, but I I did read one. Oh, I think it was the author that we had on our podcast last time. It was kind of a COVID pandemic book, correct? But she wrote that the year before, anticipating oh, a global she predicted lockdown. COVID. Pretty much. No way. She did. Yeah. Oh she was God. just like, everybody thinks I wrote this and like took the idea from COVID and did this. She said, but this was already being like published and everything like that and in the works and already complete way before <laughs> COVID had happened. And like in the book, it's about this girl who's in the hospital and like all of a sudden this virus breaks out and then the whole world's shut down and she's running to the store to buy hand sanitizer and gloves and like packing her bag and like on this great chase and stuff like that. And it's not like a, it's an apocalyptic book, book but it is, um, that was, was amazing. Cause we asked her like, so was that your big influence? She was, she just kind of laughed and she was just like, no, <laughs> like everybody says she's like, it was done long before I ever did that. And I was just like, you have like completely foretold. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. She's got yeah. Cassandra like powers. Oh my yes. God. It was That's such incredible. a crazy parallel. And especially like some of the scenes in there, like I said, the buying of all the hand sanitizer and everything. So is it called she, Deadly Lockdown? Yeah. Her yeah. name, her name was Misty Zog. She was like a up and coming author. Yes. Um, and she self publishes on Amazon and we've got a few of her books in the library as well. And it was just so crazy how she had just, predicted like yeah i was just thinking like if the world had a virus how would it handle it and then just really crazy we were just like well spot on (laughs) i mean i mean i guess that's why you know like i mean people haven't been writing about it so much directly but we're still seeing these echoes you know like we're seeing people getting really caught up in like the last of us you know like global pandemic all my coworkers. yeah (laughs) i mean you know, it's either either they're drawn to this idea of kind of um, the impacts of the pandemic, global pandemic, or they're really into, you know, Pedro Pascal. I don't know, but maybe both. But, you know, there's, there's just something there that people are going to keep picking up, I think, for a little while. I mean, yeah. it's, yeah, it's not something we're going to, to just forget about. It's going to take a little right, while, I yeah. think, for us to to work it all out you know yeah, there's oh, yeah. been a lot of um movies that i've seen like you know on like hulu yeah. or netflix that have been centered and based about that mostly horror which is like kind of sad but yeah but it yeah. kind of was at some point yeah pretty horrifying yeah but yeah. anyway <laughs> do you have any other upcoming projects you don't have to tell oh. us what they are if you can't. Or if there's anything you want to share with everybody. I know that you did the newsletter, <laughs> the black hands that we're both subscribed oh, to. Yes. Yeah. Look, and I that have is a so newsletter, cool. which is really a lot of fun. Yeah. I put out a newsletter every month called The Black Hand. Um, and I have a I have a subscribers, paid subscribers only newsletter called Nail Biters as well, which is really fun because at the moment, um, the people who are subscribed to Nail Biters are getting like early. Uh, pre-release copies of Some Shall Break. So we're really sorting cool. that out at the moment. I know it's really – so the, the the people who are on my newsletter, in my newsletter crew are kind of getting early snippets of what's happening with Some Shall Break, which has been a lot of fun, coordinating that with a publisher and and with, with all my subscribers. Um, it's been great, actually, because, you know, 
the way that the social media landscape is going at the moment, the only way you can reliably talk to somebody, you know, um, one-on-one without the algorithm at the moment is through newsletters. So I'm, I'm a big fan of newsletters and I'm also a big fan of like emailing friends, you know, just writing letters to friends. I would have been one of those ladies back in the Victorian times who like (laughs) sent out, sent out the mail like seven times a day or something like that. (laughs) Like yeah. Jane Aust- Jane Austen style. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We should just bring it back. Yeah. Um, so what am I writing now? I'm I'm like I said, I'm working on the third book in the Nunchal Sleep sequence. I don't know if that will get p- picked up by my publisher. Um, there's no guarantees in publishing, but mm-hmm. I've already said to people who subscribe to Nailbed is that um if the publisher doesn't take it, then I'll just release it one chapter at a time through the newsletter so people can, you know, just at least someone will be reading it. We will be Um, be there. there. (laughs) (laughs) I've also got a new YA standalone book um, that I've written, like, I don't know, 45, 50 pages of that, and we're just sort of talking to the publisher about whether or not that will happen. Um, And I'm also of dabbling in well I'm trying to write some ideas down for maybe an adult book um, which I haven't done before so I'm finding it quite challenging even though it shouldn't be any different but I am weirdly finding it a bit Um, I think it's just mental you know I have this it's kind of intimidating the idea of writing for adult audiences even though I think a lot of adults are actually picking up my YA books as well. Yes. So I'm not sure why I'm nervous. <laughs> guilty, guilty. <laughs> so good. That's They're awesome. so good. We have the utmost faith in you. You're going to do great. Yes. Oh, thank you. Not that it means anything from us, but I think you're going to do great. <laughs> and if anybody listening hasn't checked out, picked up, purchased, Nunchaw Sleep, 100%. Just run to the library. Run to the library. We have it on the shelf. We have it online and um, every format on Hoopla and Libby that you can get it. Um, We have all of these other books as well. Uh, So you could just come to the library library. and just get started. Subscribe to Allie's newsletter. Yes. Yes. It's it's so (laughs) awesome too, because you go through and list like some of the things that you're watching and reading and like, it's like we get to like, be friends a little bit and it's just like this is so cool because you're so down like it's you're so down to earth like she's a person like me like (laughs) (laughs) it's just so awesome so I encourage everybody to like dig in and participate yeah thank you so much yes and And so do you have do you have all of the formats in the library you have like digital and audiobook as well do you have the audiobook (gasps) I love the audiobook for Nunchal Sleep um, that was so much fun. I did. We're just talking about who's going to, I think we're going to recast with the same cast for the audiobook for Some Shall Break. So that's like um, Christine Lakin and Jake Abel, who was in Supernatural. So, um, oh. yeah. Okay. So he plays, he plays Simon and he does an amazing job. He's really incredible. I yeah, recognize I that. that. I listened to it. I like <laughs> listen to some because I would like read and then I would get in my car and I'd be like searching through the chapters. So really? Like, okay, I gotta get to this part. And it's very good. I didn't get to listen to it in its entirety. I should just go back and listen to it all. Yeah. 
honestly. But we do. We have online, we have the ebook and audiobook available. And I believe it's available on Hoopla as well. And then we have um all of that available on the shelf too for people to check out. Yes. So yes. cool. No excuses. Yes. Get on the bandwagon. Amazing. Read a good book. You know? Sunshine break coming out Do in it. June. Yes, June 6th. So yes. I'm really excited about that. Yes, um, excited. This is a book that I really didn't anticipate would be published. Um, I'm just, I'm really just love getting all of these characters back into the same room, mashing them all together and, you know, talk, <laughs> do stuff. <laughs> they are they, so glad they, you <laughs> So glad. When they get did. together, they can't help but like, you know, spark off each other. So it's, it's really a lot of fun to write. Oh, it's so good. And we promise we won't spoil anything. Uh, We promise. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very, very much for being with us. It was fantastic. It is an honor to have you on the podcast. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really just, it was such a lot of fun to talk with you and to like connect from so far away. I mean, you know, on the other side of the globe and you're in Indiana and yeah, we can still, we can still connect. And it's really amazing. I yeah, love it. it. Technology is awesome. I love yes. that. Amazing. It's perfection. No. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, unfortunately we have to wrap it up. Thank you again to Ellie. Um, join us on our podcast coming out next couple weeks. Yep. Yep. We're going to be reading um, a Colleen Hoover book. Yes, a Colleen Hoover book. We we were skeptical going into the Colleen Hoover. You but read like three already. <laughs> I did. I I really didn't. I I don't know why I didn't want to read Colleen Hoover, but I was like, I'm not going to do it. And then I read it. I was like, oh my gosh, I got to read more. You know. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's going to be great. So yes. join us for that. And join us for that. And everybody have a great day.